gazing in admiration at Royal Crescent. We must walk the route afterwards to give us a good appetite for dinner. I took a deep breath of the scents of spring blossoms and said, Have you told James what we're doing? I haven't. This was Detective Chief Inspector James Carrick of Bath CID, who is a friend of ours. No, I thought it best not to. He always says that trouble follows us around, and I should hate it if he lost any sleep over it. If we bump into him, it can't be helped. Over the following couple of days, we went on a boat trip on the Avon, visited several museums, had tea in the pump room, having toured the Roman baths, sampled the spring waters and wandered around the assembly rooms. Tonight, after we'd eaten, there was a concert in Parade Gardens, and the following evening I was vaguely thinking we could go to the theatre. It was obvious, though, that the man in my life was getting a little restless. "'You're bored?' I inquired gently, realising that Lady Windermere's fan might not be quite Patrick's thing. We were in Sally Lunn's on the fourth day of our break, sharing one of the large brioche-style buns with morning coffee. "'Not exactly,' he said slowly. "'I suppose it's just that I'm used to doing what Katie would call stuff most of the time.' "'You mean you'd far rather be engaged in shoot-em-up sessions at that soccer training place in Hammersmith?' I remarked, straight-faced. He merely smiled. Ye gods, he would. We had talked of taking our two eldest children out of school for part of the week to give them what would be an educational as well as a fun experience, but had decided against it as they were both sitting exams soon and had been away for a few days in London with us at half-term. Matthew and Katie are actually Patrick's brother Larry's children, whom we adopted when he was killed a while ago. Justin, Victoria and baby Mark are ours, and that is quite enough, thank you. I often marvel at our family. After serious injuries in his army days, Patrick was told it was unlikely, nay almost impossible, that he would ever be able to father children. At that time, we were actually divorced. Oddly, one of the things we had profoundly disagreed upon having been my reluctance to start a family. I daydreamed, thinking back to when he'd returned to my life, maimed, mentally iffy because of it, and desperate to make a new career for himself, to be useful, with a job offer from D12, a department of MI5. Still a serving army officer, a major in those days, He'd been ordered to find a working partner, female, as socialising would be required and official opinion held that lone men, especially somewhat saturnine, if not downright dangerous-looking ones, were conspicuous. He had arrived on the doorstep of the only woman on the planet, or so he had thought, who would not want to go to bed with him. Self-confidence in that direction, not so much being low as having crashed... I supposed I had dreamed of this arrogant, self-satisfied, frankly insufferable man my husband had become, turning up, and briskly sending him away without a qualm. But suffering had stripped all that from him. 
I am one of those people who can never walk past a lost kitten or a dog with a thorn in its paw, and rejecting him in the state he was in would have been unbearable. There was also the matter of my guilty conscience. For some amazing reason, the old magic had worked again, and we had discovered that we both still loved and now also badly needed one another. Looking back with the benefit of hindsight, I suppose that if we had had a period of separation, we might never have divorced in the first place. After a short time, we had remarried. I can still vividly remember that ceremony in a stiflingly hot register office, but not exactly where it was, just some god-awful part of London. The hapless plants on the window ledges bracing themselves for another day of suffocation from fumes from the gas fire and the registrar's pipe. Both witnesses had coughed so horribly...